Our reading today is from the book of Daniel, chapter 6. Darius decided to appoint 120 chief administrators throughout the kingdom and to set over them three main officers to whom they would report so that the king wouldn't have to be bothered with too much. One of these main officers was Daniel. Because of his extraordinary spirit, Daniel soon surpassed the other officers and the chief administrators, so much so that the king had plans to set him over the entire kingdom. As a result, the other officers and the chief administrators tried to find some problem with Daniel's work for the kingdom, but they couldn't find any problem or corruption at all because Daniel was trustworthy. He wasn't guilty of any negligence or corruption. So these men said, We won't find any fault in Daniel unless we can find something to use against him from his religious practice. So these officers and chief administrators ganged together and went to the king. They said to him, Long live King Darius! All the officers of the kingdom, the ministers, the chief administrators, the royal associates, and the governors advised the king to issue an edict and enforce a law that for thirty days anyone who says prayers to any god or human being except you, your majesty, will be thrown into a pit of lions. Now, your majesty, issue the law and sign the document so that it cannot be changed as per the law of Media and Persia, which cannot be annulled. Because of this, King Darius signed the document containing the law. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went to his house. Now his upper room had open windows that faced Jerusalem. Daniel knelt there, prayed, and praised his God three times that day, just like he always did. Just then these men, all ganged together, came upon Daniel praying and seeking mercy from his God. They then went and talked to the king about the law. Your majesty, didn't you sign a law that for thirty days any person who prays to any god or human being besides you, your majesty, would be thrown into a pit of lions? The king replied, The decision is absolutely firm in accordance with the law of Media and Persia, which cannot be annulled. So they said to the king, One of the Judean exiles, Daniel, has ignored you, your majesty, as well as the law you signed. He says his prayers three times a day. When the king heard this report, he was very unhappy. He decided to rescue Daniel and did everything he could to save Daniel before the sun went down. But these men, all ganged together, came and said to the king, You must realize, your majesty, that the law of Media and Persia, including every law and edict the king has issued, cannot be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and hurled him into the pit of lions. The king said to Daniel, Your God, the one you serve so consistently, will rescue you. A single stone was brought and placed over the entrance to the pit. The king sealed it with his own ring and with those of his princes 
so that Daniel's situation could not be changed. The king then went home to his palace and fasted through the night. No pleasures were brought to him, and he couldn't sleep. At dawn, at the first sign of light, the king rose and rushed to the lion's pit. As he approached it, he called out to Daniel, worried, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, the one you serve so consistently, able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel answered to the king, Long live the king! My God sent his messenger, who shut the lions' mouths. They haven't touched me because I was judged innocent before my God. I haven't done anything wrong to you either, your majesty. The king was thrilled. He commanded that Daniel be brought up out of the pit, and Daniel was lifted out. Not a scratch was found on him, because he trusted in his God. The king then ordered that the men who had accused Daniel be brought and thrown into the lion's pit, including their wives and children. They hadn't even reached the bottom of the pit before the lions overpowered them, crushing all their bones. Then King Darius wrote the following decree. To all the peoples, nations, and languages inhabiting the entire earth, I wish you much peace. I now issue this command. In every region of my kingdom, all people must fear and revere Daniel's God, because he is the living God. God stands firm forever. His kingship is indestructible. God's rule will last until the end of time. He is rescuer and savior. God performs signs and miracles in heaven and on earth. Here is the proof he rescued Daniel from the lion's power. And so Daniel was made prosperous during the rule of Darius and during the rule of Cyrus the Persian. Here ends the reading. I think we often hear about faith in God when we are in difficult situations. When I have had especially difficult and trying times in my life, I have often sought out some sort of sacred place to sit and to think and to pray. This is one thing uh, I really like about the Roman Catholic Church, actually, is most of their church buildings are open most of the time, and you can go and sit in them and pray, and they won't really bother you. Um, this is difficult to do if you don't have somebody who lives on the church grounds. And as someone who has been in charge of, uh, of a church building and its grounds and its renters in the past, I know that it's, it's difficult to always do this. But it's nice if you can have your sanctuary open so people can come in and sit in a holy place and um, listen for God, listen to the Holy Spirit in them. I've always thought it was interesting to see how people, uh, especially in the U.S., kind of in modern society, treat Christianity as a uh, as 
first a, an intern minister at a church in uh, in Austin, Texas, and then as as an assistant minister of that church. There were two things that I I found really interesting. We had a large um, a large membership role, maybe five hundred people, and of those five hundred people, we would have somewhere between one hundred to one hundred and fifty on a given Sunday. And I, I, part of my job was to keep um, tabs on who came each week. And the reason for this was, was just, well, it was, two, it was twofold. One was so that if folks um, were missing for a long time, we could check in with them and we could see what was, what was going on. And the second was a, a, a denominational requirement that had to do with the budget and how much money the church was required to pay to the larger denomination. This was in the United Methodist Church. And, um, they paid an amount every um, every year based on their membership roles, and so uh, it was important that the roles were accurate. <laughs> so, so if people didn't come for a couple of years, there was a they would they would be moved to like an inactive status. Um, they wouldn't be removed from the roles completely; they would just be kind of marked as inactive. And so I was doing this, and so I was keeping track of who came every week. And it was interesting to see that people would come maybe once a month, maybe once every other month. And so we'd have consistently 100 to 150, but maybe half of those people would be there every week. And then the other half were this rotating group, including visitors who would come once and we would never see them again. And what was really amazing is that on two days of the year, this would change. Uh, Easter and Christmas. (laughs) On Easter and Christmas, we would be packed to the gills. We would have to bring in extra chairs. We would get 250 or 300 people in the sanctuary. Uh, Christmas especially, uh, we had two services and they were both packed. Uh, Easter, we had two services, but, but but we always had two services, but the second service was always much larger than the first. And it's just so interesting. People, um, really felt connected to the church, but they didn't come on a regular basis. And so they would just come on Easter and Christmas. Or maybe some of those people would be family of, of active members of the church who were visiting. They would come and visit too. The other thing that I thought was interesting was um, hospital visitation. So one of the, my jobs, um, which I really actually I loved doing, was hospital visitation. So I would go to the hospital to visit members who were currently there for whatever reason. And that was a really meaningful uh, ministry for me. But what I found so interesting about that is that people seem to not really be all that involved in the church until things were bad. So when, when their life was bad and when they had difficulties, then they were very interested in church and in God and in, um, being a part of the community. And when things were, were going well for them, they, they would kind of wander off. They didn't have time. They were too busy um, and so on. And of course, not everybody. There, there's always a group that's really active no matter what, but you know, the other half of the, of the congregation. This story we read from Daniel is really interesting that the, it, it's a story that about Daniel and the lion's den. It's, it's one of those, 
Bible stories they teach kids in, in Sunday school and American churches and other places too. Um, it's, it's one of the ones you always see kind of painted on the wall or in the, in the, the children's book, you know, dying, the uh, Daniel and the lions, Daniel thrown to the lion's den and God saves him from the lions. They usually leave out the part where they throw all of Daniel's enemies and their families, their children and wives and children to the lions to be devoured right after that <laughs> in the children's version of that. But it's one of the stories, you know, the flood story, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, uh, you know about Samson and you know about David and Goliath and you know about Daniel and the lions. And it's interesting that the book itself, uh, they're not, we're not really sure when it was written. If, as the book um, claims, it was written by Daniel, then it was probably written in the 7th century BC during uh, the the reign of the Persian Empire, when the Persian Empire had control over Israel. So if you remember in our previous um, week, the, the, Babylon, the Babylonians come and they, they capture uh, Judah and take everybody off into exile in Babylon. Well, soon after, the Babylonians are conquered by the Assyrians, and then the Assyrians are conquered by the Persians. And when the Persian king comes to power, the, the Persians make a rule that the people who have been conquered and who have been brought into exile out of their lands can then return to their lands. And that's when we have the return of uh, groups of, of Israelites back to Israel. Uh, not, not immediately, but, but it's during the Persian, the Persian reign that, that happens during the reign of um, Cyrus the Great. And so um, Daniel is living through these times. So he's he's coming of age probably during the, the reign of the Assyrian Empire and then is living through the, the, ca the capture of the Assyrian Empire by the Persians. Um, and then, uh, although the Bible doesn't say this, the, the tradition is that he is allowed to return to Israel when when the groups are allowed to go back and dies in Israel. When this story takes place, he's already quite old, um, probably in his 70s or 80s, I think. Um, and so he's, he's already an old man. And, and at this point, he, he's, uh, he's in control, kind of, of Babylon. So when the Assyrians came in, they, they conquered the Babylonians, and they put people in charge of Babylon as a territory of the Assyrian Empire, and when the Persians came in, they did the same thing. And so he's been chosen as a part of a group of leaders of the Babylonian lands within the Persian Empire at this point, and and he um, has is very good at what he does. He's very good at what he does, and he's risen in the ranks and become um, really the, the like the third in person in charge of this group. So kind of a governor of a, of a region of Babylon, very, a very important person in, for all intents and purposes and, uh, a Judean exile. And so his, his, um, uh, his contemporaries are unhappy, I think, with the fact, uh, first of all, that he's a Judean exile, uh, who has gained so much power because the, the Judeans were seen as, um, kind of lowly, kind of not, not the best people, um, because of their beliefs and, and various things. And then secondly, he has risen very quickly through the ranks and people are jealous of him and of, and of how he has risen through the ranks. And so his, his, uh, contemporaries decide to, 
to try and um, get him taken care of. <laughs> and they, they first try to find some problem in his work that they can accuse him of. And so that, that he can, they can go to the king and say, look, you know, Daniel is, is cheating or he's, you know, um, he's taking money or, or he's not doing his job or whatever so they can get rid of him. But they find out that he has, he's, has no problems at work. He's, his work is flawless because he is faithful and, and diligent in his work and honest and um, by all by all accounts, uh, you know, an, an excellent administrator and just doing a great job. And so then they think, well, he's one of these Judeans, and they have this weird religious practice where they're they're not allowed to worship other gods because the the Persian Empire and and all the really all the lands around there are all polytheistic, and and so it's unusual for them to to not be able to worship multiple gods. And it was kind of the general understanding that the king was a deity, was or was you know, was um, uh, was to be worshipped like a god, and so they they go to the king, un you know, not bringing up Daniel at all, and they're like, you know, you, the king is so is doing such a great job. You should you should make this law where no one can pray to anybody else but you for thirty days as like a celebration of the king. And he's like, yeah, it sounds great, and and uh, he you know puts his stamp on the on the law, and we see something here that we we see again, um, in other parts of the the Old Testament that were written during the exile, especially during the Persian um, area, where once the law is um, is put into effect, it can't be changed. So, um, once once the the king has has made the law even the king can't change the law uh, this comes up again in uh the book of esther uh, when they're when they're talking about um uh esther and and how and her story and the story of um the uh the persecution of the judeans and the same thing happens the, the they trick the king into making a law and even the king can't break the law um and that's a great book in of the Bible that <laughs> we should read separately. But the point is this comes up more than once. That the king makes a law and even the king can't change it once he's made it. It's you know, to be fair. So he makes this law, but Daniel, being a devout worshipper of God, is praying. And he prays all the time, and all of his enemies know that. He prays three times a day and he does it facing Jerusalem, which was a common practice during the exile. And so he he continues to do this. Of course, he's very quiet about it. The the reading says he goes into his house and into his room. You know, he's he's humble. He's quiet. He's not praying on the street. He's not making a big scene. He's not, you know, yelling at the king because the law is unfair. He just goes about his his own um, his own prayer life the way it was. He goes and he prays. But of course, his enemies know he's doing this, and so they show up and kind of catch him in, in this act. And so several people go to the king, and, and instead of saying immediately, hey, we saw Daniel doing this, first they remind the king, hey, didn't, didn't you make a law saying that people couldn't, you know, had to only worship you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that law is, you know, that's that's a law. And then they say, well, we found out that Daniel has, has not been following your laws. And so now they've caught Daniel in a situation that he can't get out of. And even the king can't get him out of it. And the king tries until sundown, uh, which is when the when he'll be thrown to the lions. The king tries to get him out of it, but is unable to do it. 
And so finally, um, the king takes Daniel and, and, you know, takes him to the, the lion's pit. And he tells Daniel, you know, don't worry, your God, who you are so faithful to, will certainly save you. And puts him in, in the lion's den. And they put a rock over it. And because this is like a, like a, like a cistern, like a vertical um, storage area, right? Like they lower him down from above. And they put a, a rock over the top and they, they put the, the king's seal in wax on the rock. And the reason for that is so that no one can come and, and let him out. And the king goes back home and is just distraught. You know, he, he doesn't eat. He doesn't, he doesn't do anything fun. He doesn't, you know, have any of his, whatever his regular fun would be on a day. Um, he, he can, can't really sleep. He's, you know, beside himself with worry. And so he rushes in the morning as soon as the, the sun comes up to check on Daniel and to see if he's okay. And sure enough, Daniel's okay. And now that the law has been followed and, you know, the, the king has done what the king said he would do, then he turns on Daniel's accusers and throws them to the lions instead, um, which is, and not only them, but their families, their wives and their children and everybody. And so Daniel is not only saved from the lions, the immediate threat, but also from the people who were trying to have him killed as well, the kind of longer-term threat. And then it says that Daniel was prosperous for the rest of the, of the reign of the Persian king. So again, this is a kind of a famous story, but um, even, in, like I said, in the Sunday school class, we don't go into all the details all the time. And it's not very long. We read the entire story, the entire chapter, right? Um, now, as I mentioned, either this was written during the, the Persian Empire uh, in the 7th century BC, uh, which is what the book claims, or it may have been written in the 2nd century BC uh, by some unknown author in in um, Judea. And the reason people think that might be the case is based on linguistic evidence and historical evidence in the text and things. And I, I don't think it's really important to the point. The The point is just either it was written, you know, in, um, in the Persian empire or it wasn't, it was written much later. Um, if it was written much later, then it's one of the newest books in the old Testament. In other words, it's one of the books that was written the latest in the old Testament before the old Testament was kind of, closed, if you will. Um, and after this story of the lions, this is the sixth chapter. So the, after the story of the lions, the next six chapters are, are, um, prophecies that, that Daniel visions that Daniel had about the future of Israel and the future of the world, the end of the world, the coming of the Messiah and, and various things. And so Daniel is quoted quite a bit in the new Testament texts and uh, talked about as a prophet. This the book of Daniel actually was was originally in the writings section of the uh, Jewish scriptures, but was moved to the prophets section um, in the Christian scriptures because Daniel was talked about as being a prophet by the New Testament authors. Uh, anyway, so the point is that this book has a, is about faith. It's a and it and it's important not only because of the faith of Daniel and how he, how he puts his trust completely in God to save him, but also because of the prophecies 
the visions that he makes about what will happen to Israel in the future and um, about the end of the world and the coming of the Messiah and all these kinds of things that are really important to the New Testament authors. But this reading specifically is about faith. And faith, you know, um, we have this kind of misconception, I think, in uh, in American English uh, these days, and I'm I would assume in other uh, in other versions of English as well that faith means belief. It means like to believe in something, to to believe that something is true. And we talk about that a lot. What what's your faith? What do you believe? As if those two things are the same, but but they're not the same. Faith is not about belief. Faith is about trust. Faith, the English word, comes from the the Latin fides, which is to trust. Um, and so, what what's really important is is uh, not belief in God's existence in this story, so much as trust that God will see you through and will take care of you. And Daniel has faith. He has trust. The king also believes in the existence of Daniel's God. But although he he says, surely your God will save you, nonetheless, he doesn't have as much faith as Daniel does. I mean, he goes home and is beside himself in worry, doesn't eat, can't sleep, gets up at the first light of dawn to rush back to, to see how Daniel is doing. I mean... He, you know, he's obviously much less sure of the outcome than Daniel is. But Daniel has faith. And Daniel says that God sent God's messengers, which is also uh, translated as angels, um, to, to close the lion's mouth. And that this was done because Daniel uh, had faith in God and because Daniel had not done anything wrong for the king. He hadn't, he had done his his job he had done his duty to the king impeccably so i think this faith of daniel's is something that we should all kind of um, aspire to it's certainly not easy uh, daniel was living in exile in the persian empire he had seen wars he had seen conquerors come and 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 go his people were dispersed taken away from their homes their temple destroyed he was living in the reality of this and so for him life was was difficult i mean he you know he himself was was in a good position he was in a position of leadership he was you know he's got the ear of the king i mean he's he's doing really well for himself but but his people are living in the diaspora, living, you know, apart and living, having to be kind of uh, live, live, live through persecutions and all kinds of things that were going on. And a lot of this literature that comes out of this period focuses on faith and faith in God away from Jerusalem, because before this, so much of uh, of the the Jewish religion was based on the temple and and you know God being the God of Israel and living in the temple and people going to the temple to pray and going to the temple for sacrifices. And now that they were in exile, they couldn't go to the temple. They had to rethink what it meant. What does it mean to worship God if God 
if we can't go to God's house? What does that mean? I mean this is certainly something we're, we're struggling with now, right? And so what we find in Daniel is that he has total faith in God, total trust in God to get him through these hard times in his life. So much so that, you know, when the king, when the king passes this, this new edict, there, the Bible doesn't say that he, that he second guessed himself, that he stopped, that he, you know, changed anything. He just continued doing what he had been doing, which was to quietly and privately and humbly pray his prayer three times a day facing Jerusalem. And we see too that because of his faith, because of his faith in God and the peace of mind that it gave him, he was able to excel in his career, in his um, social obligations, and in, you know, in the, the society that he found himself in, he was doing really well. He, you know, he was a faithful and honest and trustworthy um, servant of the king. And that because of that, he also had the favor of the king and he had the, the trust of the king as well, which helped him greatly. There's a, there's a famous story of these uh, monks in Ireland in uh, the 7th or 8th century AD, I forget exactly when, during what we often call the Dark Ages. You know, the, the Britons, um, th there was a Roman conquering of Britain, and so for a long time the, the main part of, of England was Roman. And of course, at that time, this, uh, the Romans brought Christianity, and so there were Christian monks and such in in Britain and one of uh, one of these monks was spirited away to Ireland um, and uh, he became known later on as St. Patrick and said that he brought Christianity to Ireland and then Christianity flourished in Ireland in the meantime the Romans retreated from Britain and the the Britons maintained a Roman lifestyle for a long time but eventually they were they were um, conquered or, you know, uh, ruled by the Angles and the Saxons and the Jutes, who were Germanic peoples who brought in their own religious traditions. And, and so uh, a large part of England kind of ceased to be Christian. And then later on, the Irish monks were, you know, in Ireland, Christianity was flourishing. The Irish monks brought Christianity kind of back um, to England in a, in a very real way. Uh, it also came back from Rome, two separate traditions, and the Irish tradition was separated from the Roman tradition for a long time. Uh, it's a really interesting story. But what is fascinating about this, and my point here, is these Irish monks. There is this story about these Irish monks, um, and not like one particular monk, but like a group of them, who would go down to the ocean and, and board a boat um, or something smaller, <laughs> a keg, you know, something, uh, some kind of floating thing. Uh, and they would let the ocean take them wherever it would take them. And when they arrived, wherever God was sending them, they would preach the gospel wherever that was. And so they had, they just had this deep faith that, that God wanted them to do this to, to preach the gospel to the world and that God would take care of them and send them to where God wanted them to be. And so they just uh, got in these boats and, and floated away and let the, let the ocean take them, let God take them wherever they would go. 
that's the kind of faith that we see in Daniel. And that's, it's difficult. That's a difficult faith to have. It's very easy to second guess God, especially when things go bad. And this is kind of the interesting part I was getting to at the beginning, is that in times when things go bad, that's when I think we, we can doubt God the most. Because we have bad things happen to us. And we think, how could God allow these bad things to happen? And yet those are the times when we find that our faith is the strongest. When we find the, the strongest reasons to come back to faith, to be engaged in the community, in, in our prayer practice, to, to become closer to God. And it's, you know, kind of, um, uh, surprisingly, it's the time of good fortune when we tend to move away from God. When we're doing well, when we have everything that we ask for, when, um, when the world is good to us, then we, we just kind of forget about God. We forget about the church. We wander away. We, we don't have time for that. We have too many things to do. It's a Sunday morning. It's the only day I get to sleep in and so on and so forth. And that's certainly been true for me in the past. This is, you know, this is, uh, this is my own experience. <laughs> and then when things are bad again, then, then you turn back to God looking for a place of peace and love and, and security in an insecure world. And you turn back to those traditions and those um, rituals that, that um, grounded you in your faith. And I think that we would do a lot better as a people in general if we tried to remember how that felt when we weren't in a bad place. You know, if we, if we tried to remember how it felt to go into that church when the world seems to be falling apart and to sit and to pray earnestly to God with n no mask on, nothing hiding your true feelings to hear the the music or the church bells or uh, nature or whatever it was that was meaningful to you in that place and to feel what that felt what that felt like if we could hold on to that feeling when things aren't so bad when the world is is doing much better when we're feeling like everything's going right in our life if we could remember think back, remember how good it felt or how important it was to us to make that connection with God in our times of difficulty, then perhaps we wouldn't, um, we wouldn't float away so much. We wouldn't um, abandon the church so much. But instead, and it's just the human condition, I think, instead we get complacent and we forget and we put it off. And then when things go bad again, we find ourselves back there. So, yeah, the, the faith of Daniel. I hope that you will take some time this week to think about faith and your faith in God. We're many, so many of us are in these places of uncertainty and doubt this year. This year has just been a roller coaster between the pandemic, political uh, uncertainty and riots and just everything, everything in the world, and not just in the U.S., I mean, all over the world. In the U.K., we've had Brexit, and 
in in Asia, we've had political um, difficulties between various nations rising and uh, tension and, you know, the concern of um, uh, the repression of democratic uh, movements and the concern of the possibility of war in the future. Just every all over the world, there have, this has been a year of uncertainty and doubt and um, fear. And I think that it's important for us as Christians to remember that we need to put our faith in God, that God will see us through this, that this is only temporary, and that we will find a way forward. So I hope that this week you'll take time to pray on that, to meditate on that, to think about your faith and to think about what it would take for you to trust more in God. Amen.